Well, what do kids these days, what, what do they want to be when they grow up? I know what I wanted to be when I was growing up. You know, uh, the buddies in my neighborhood, they wanted to be the typical stuff. They wanted to be president of the United States or firefighters or, you know, players for the Chicago Cubs, but not me. I wanted to be a sofa repairman. Because I came home from grade school one day, and there was this dude fixing the back of our sofa. He was tacking on some new fabric, and he grabbed a pile of nails and dumped them in his mouth, and then one by one took the magnetic end of his hammer and pulled a nail out and drove it home, and I thought, this is so cool. I mean, like, this could be my dream job. Well, I went online today to find out what dream jobs are out there for children, what they're saying, their dream job, what they want to be when they grow up. And here's what I found at a couple of different websites, top five choices, and a comment about each that a child has made, okay? Number one choice, what do kids want to be? Secret agent. Because, said one child, I like cool gadgets and fast cars. Okay, number two, dream job for kids, superheroes because I could then fight evil and protect people. Number three, astronaut. I would fly to the moon and meet aliens. And then this, this little person added, we might even crossbreed. <laughs> Not making this up, okay? Number four, top job, vet, because I love my dog. That makes sense. Number five, doctor, I could help people feel good. And then one child added, although there's too much blood to deal with. <laughs> so what is your dream job? What would be your dream job? We're in the fourth, the final installment in a workplace series. We've been calling this job change because we've been tr trying to change our perspective, you know, how we look at work, gain God's perspective. And today we're going to consider what, you know, what God sees as the dream job. So if you brought your Bible with you, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? It's in the middle of your New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I've titled today's study of God's Word, The Greatest Calling. The greatest, what's interesting about The Greatest Calling is that you don't have to leave your current job to pursue it. Okay, you can do The Greatest Calling right where you currently work. In fact, if you'll do The Greatest Calling, it'll make any job you do a dream job. So whether, whether you're a teacher, lawyer, stay-at-home mom, salesperson, cement truck driver, chemical engineer, librarian, high school student, or sofa repairman, whatever your job, you're, you're about to learn how God wants you to dovetail that job with the greatest calling. Okay, three steps to the greatest calling. If you haven't taken your outline out yet... You want to take it out, you want to jot these down, because this is, again, how you're going to dovetail what you do for a living with the greatest calling. But before we get to the first step, I just want you to note the very first word in the text we're going to look at today. So we're going to start at verse 16. If you've got your, your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16, there's a little two-letter word at the beginning of the verse. Call it out if you see it, all four campuses. So... So, and that's exactly what some of you are thinking, so. So what's the big deal about so? Well, when a Bible author, in this case, it's the Apostle Paul, when they use the word so at the beginning of a verse, it functions kind of like a therefore. 
it sums up what the author has previously said so that he can now challenge you to do something. So what is it that Paul has previously said? Well, go one verse prior to verse 16, verse 15. It says, And Christ, he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, okay, Paul's saying Christ gave his life for you, and what he expects in return is for you to live your life for him. Now, what does that look like on the job? What, it, what does it look like to live your life for the one who gave his life for you? That's what I'm referring today at, to today as the greatest calling. I mean, showing up for work in order to live your life on the job for Christ because he gave his life for you. And if you ignore this calling, if you neglect this calling, you will never be a success at work. You know, you, you might make lots of money. You, you might go up, you know, the career path, lots of promotions. You may become the best at what you do so that others recognize you as an expert in your field. But in God's book, you will never be a success until you pursue the greatest calling. Until you go to work to live your life for the one who gave his life for you. So how do you do that? Step number one. You see people as potential new creations. You see other people that you encounter on the job as potential new creations. I love curry. I love Indian food. Uh, my dad grew up in India. He was the son of missionaries. And when he later met my mom and they got married, my grandma Nicodem passed on Indian food recipes to my mom. And so I grew up eating Indian food all the time. Love it. And so when this new movie came out about Indian food, I thought, got to see that movie. Now, I don't know if you've seen The Hundred Foot Journey, co-produced by Steven Spielberg and Oprah. Now, that's a combo, right? Steven Spielberg and Oprah. It's the story of this Indian family that relocate from their, their home city of Mumbai, India, and they move to a small village in France where they start up an Indian restaurant right across the street, a hundred feet away from a hoity-toity French restaurant. And that French restaurant is, is uh, being run by an ex-award-winning chef named, named Madame Mallory. And she immediately views her neighbors as the enemy, okay, because she is pursuing a Michelin star. A Michelin star is an award that's given only to a handful of restaurants across the continent of Europe, the best restaurants in Europe. She wants a Michelin star, and so it colors the way she sees other people. She sees these Indian restaurateurs as the enemy. She sees her cooks, her chefs, and the wait staff as tools, as slaves to be used to accomplish her goal. She sees her customers as her own possession. They belong to her, nobody else. She has a distorted view of people. How do you see the people that you encounter on the job? How do you see people? Oh, that customer is a whiner. Now, that supervisor, she's such a micromanager. Oh, that teacher is a snore. That client is my major source of income. That, that coworker is a rival for the next promotion. That receptionist is a knockout. That, that employee is a headache 
I mean, make that a, a triple migraine headache. So isn't it our tendency to pigeonhole the people we encounter on the job? We, we sort of size them up in our minds and then attach a little label to each of them. The Apostle Paul would say, if you want to pursue the greatest calling, it begins by changing the way you look at other people on the job. Okay, how should we look at them? Well, let's jump into the text. Verse 16. We've gotten through the first word so far. Verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. How do you see people that you encounter on the job. Well, Paul says, for starters, you know, we should stop regarding people, verse 16, from a worldly point of view. And then he quickly adds, he says, I used to look at Christ that way. Now, you remember Paul's background? You know, Paul used to be a persecutor of Christ followers before he became one himself. And, and the reason was, he just saw Jesus as a false messiah. You know, people needed to be freed from their vision of Jesus as a savior. Jesus was not a great savior. He was weak. He was ineffective. He died at the hands of the Romans. And then one day, Paul encountered the risen, all-powerful, sovereign Christ. And he realized how mistaken he had been about Jesus all those years. Well, that, that experience taught Paul a valuable lesson, he says here in 2 Corinthians 5. The lesson being, you know, don't size people up from a worldly point of view. Interestingly, Paul himself had been a victim of that sort of thinking. The, these Corinthians, to whom he wrote this New Testament epistle, the, the, this letter, they were arrogant snobs. They were Christ followers, but, you know, they still had some things to work out on their personality. They, they tended to suck up to important people and look condescendingly down their noses at people who they thought were beneath them. And Paul was one of those people. They looked at Paul and they said he claims to be an apostle. He's no great shakes. I mean, we've seen leaders with a whole lot more charisma than Paul. He's not even that great a speaker. We've heard communicators who are much better than Paul is. So, so Paul knew what it was like to be on the receiving end of others' worldly estimation. And so he says to the Corinthians here, he says, stop doing that. Stop, to, stop using a worldly yardstick to measure people. Well, how should we measure people? As potential new creations in Christ. Look at, look at verse 17. You won't see the word potential there, but the second word in the verse is what? Verse 17. Call it out. If. If, therefore, if, if anyone is in, in Christ, the new creation has come. So if you'll surrender your life to Christ, Paul says, God will make a brand new person out of you. He'll begin to replace the old nasty stuff in your life with new Christ-like qualities. If, if you'll surrender your life to him. And I love the closing line of verse 17. I like it even more in the original Greek language in which Paul wrote. He says here in the English, the new is here. If you're in Christ, the new is here. In the original Greek text, there's an additional word. It's the word behold. It, it reads literally, behold, the new is here. 
Now, I, I'm guessing that the English translators don't throw that in because we don't talk like that anymore. I mean, when, when was the last time you used the word behold? How, how many of you are going to say this afternoon, behold, the bears are beating the Packers, right? <laughs> this may be a word of prophecy, and <laughs> then again, it may not be, all right? <laughs> See, we, we don't use behold, and so instead what the English translators did, they just put a punctuate, an exclamation point. The new is here, exclamation point. I kind of like behold better. Because behold means, look at this. Open your eyes. There's something you need to see. What is it Paul wants us to see? He, he wants us to see people as potential new creations if, if they could only find Christ. If they'd only surrender to Christ. Is this how we look at people? Potential new creations. That, that guy on the job who's so obnoxious, who's got the foul mouth, you say, yeah, I got one of those. He's a jerk. Yeah, maybe he is a jerk, but so were you. How about that? Before Christ got a hold of you and started taking the old nasty out and putting the new Christ-like traits in, so were you. And so when are we going to stop looking at people as jerks or obstacles to us getting the job done or conversely as eye candy or as slave drivers or as this or as that and start seeing them on the job as potential new creations in Christ? You know, I, I love what C.S. Lewis writes in this regard. Listen to this quote. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a, a mere mortal. What, there, there are no mere mortals? No. There are only potential new creations. And then, then Lewis says that every person we encounter is the holiest object presented to your senses. Every person you encounter. You know, what, what would happen if we asked God to give us new eyes with which to see people on the job this week? What would happen if we didn't see them strictly as customers or bosses or preschoolers or patients or whatever, but we saw potential new creations in Christ? We might even want to start saying this to ourselves when we encounter someone on the job. You know, we're looking at someone. We might want to say to ourselves, he's a potential new creation in Christ. She's a potential new creation in Christ. Now, don't say it out loud because that'd be creepy, all right? But maybe we need to start saying that to ourselves as we encounter people. See others as potential new creations. Number two, see yourself as Christ's ambassador. Go back to the text. As we pick it up at verse 18, there's a, a key word here that's going to pop up four times. So if you've got your own Bible, circle it as you see it. It's the word reconciled or reconciling or reconciliation. I'm just going to read a couple of verses, and you're going to see that word four times. Verse 18, all this is from God, this new creation stuff. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Stop there, middle of the verse. 
Did you catch all four references to reconciliation? What does it mean? Well, Paul is saying that in terms of a relationship with God, we all start off on the wrong foot. Every one of us has alienated God. We, we have all made, made God into an enemy. And I know some of you are thinking, well, you know, that's not true of me. Never in my life have I viewed God as an enemy. But let me point out to you that's often the way it is when we've offended people. We tend not to see what we've done. Okay, when I offend Sue... When, you know, when I've been grumpy with Sue or impatient with Sue or selfish toward, toward Sue, when I've alienated her, I'm the last one to see it. You know, it usually takes her pointing it out to me, right? Well, our sins, the many ways in which we have violated the standards of a holy God, standards that are summarized in his word, our sins have alienated us from God. You know, our sins have pushed God away. They've offended God. They've made God our, our enemy. So we're in need of reconciliation. Reconciliation is a relationship word. It refers to the restoring of a relationship. Now, how does that happen with respect to God? Well, amazingly, and this is the good news of the gospel, amazingly, God takes the initiative in this regard. I mean, here God is the alienated partner in the deal the one who's been offended, and yet he is the one who takes the initiative. He sends his son, Jesus, to earth. Jesus dies on the cross. The eternal son of God gives his life so the penalty for our sins could be paid. The thing that has so offended a holy God, our sin, can be paid for, and God could now offer forgiveness through Jesus. All who surrender their lives to Christ can be forgiven and reconciled to God. Have you ever been reconciled to God? You have alienated God. You've pushed him away. You say, you know, I just don't see it. Well, maybe because you don't see God's word. You don't even know what the standards are, but take my word for it. You've made an enemy out of God and he wants to become your friend. It can only happen if you'll surrender to Christ. Have you ever surrendered to Christ? Said, Jesus, I need you to take my sins, forgive them, make me into a new person. You know, if you want some help doing that, if you want someone to pray you through that, you know, take five minutes after the service today, stop by the Welcome Center at any of our four campuses, and we would, we would be glad to take a few minutes and just pray you through to the point of reconciliation with God. Now, now Paul is writing to Christ followers who supposedly get reconciliation. They, they claim to have surrendered to King Jesus. They have a new relationship with God. So Paul is telling them here that reconciliation doesn't stop at getting right with God. See, once you get right with God, Paul explains in the passage I just read to you, God commissions you to share this good news of reconciliation with others. See, once you've been reconciled, you have a job to do. Look at the closing line of verse 19. It says, and he, meaning Christ, has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That, that word committed is kind of a formal word. It, it refers to an official appointment. When you surrender to Christ, he appoints you to a mission. That mission, he says in the, in the very next verse, verse 20, is to be his ambassador. Okay, that's your mission. That's what I'm referring to as the greatest calling. 
to be an ambassador for Christ. Your, your job now is to share the good news of reconciliation with God with other people. You know, I have a friend who teaches gifted children, public school teacher, gifted kids, and uh, not too long ago, she gave her kids an assignment. She said, I want you to create a vanity license plate for yourself, and on that plate, I want you to put something that's significant about, about you. And so one of her fifth graders created a license plate that looks like this. Can you read this? What does it say? Yeah, why are we here? So the teacher asked this student, well, you know, what's this all about? And the fifth grader said, well, I think about that question a lot. You know, I wonder, why am I here? Why am I here on earth? Pretty profound for a fifth grader. Well, the teacher took that license plate and all the other license plates and she put them, she posted them on the wall and other students came by and were looking at them and two third grade students, gifted students, were, were looking at these license plates. They, they were obviously little Christ followers. It'll become apparent why I say that in a moment. They're the kind of children that go to Kids World or Awana at Christ Community Church, all right? Because one of them looked at it and said to the teacher, what does that mean? And the teacher said, well, well, a fifth grader has asked the question, why am I here? And one of the third graders said, you know, kind of a shrug, like that's obvious, we're here to share the good news. And the other said, that kid's got to read the Bible. It's right there in the Bible. <laughs> you got to love gifted kids, right? No filter, no filter. But those third graders are absolutely correct. We are here to spread the good news. You know, you're at your job to be an ambassador for Christ, to bring the message of reconciliation. That, that's, that is, as the other third grader said, it's right there in the Bible in passages like 2 Corinthians 5. Do you see yourself Truthfully, do you see yourself as Christ's ambassador on the job? Do you show up for work every day hopeful that you'll be able to share the good news of reconciliation with somebody else? You'll be able to open some God conversation. Let me paint a picture of what it means to be an ambassador of Christ. First, it means, and I know this seems obvious, but it means you represent Christ. Okay, in Paul's day, an ambassador was someone appointed by the emperor. And so when that person was sent out, they went with the authority of Caesar. Okay, Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19, shortly before taking off from the planet, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, I'm telling you, go and make disciples. King Jesus has given us his authority to make disciples. When you go to work, you're on assignment for King Jesus. You shouldn't be timid about your faith. You shouldn't be hesitant to share the good news about reconciliation with God. You represent Christ. In fact, Paul says something in, in the very next verse, verse 20, after he says we're ambassadors for Christ, the next line should blow us away. He says, we are therefore God, Christ's ambassadors, now listen to this, as though God were making his appeal through us. When, when you bring God up in conversation at work, 
when, when you, you move a conversation in a spiritual direction, God is making an appeal through you. He's speaking through you. You represent Christ. Second piece of the picture here is you represent the church. Now, Paul doesn't use the word explicitly church in 2 Corinthians 5, but it, you know, it's caught up in this, in this notion of being an ambassador. See, if, if you're sent by the president, okay, if you're sent by the president to Brazil to be an ambassador, you not only represent Barack Obama, you represent your country. You represent America, right? So what is the point I'm trying to make here? Well, if, if you're a Christ follower, if you're Christ's ambassador at work, you not only represent Jesus, you represent Jesus' country of fellow believers. You represent, you know, a.k.a. the church. Why is this important? Well, it's important, friends, because we live in a very individualistic culture. You know, people tend to look at a relationship with God as if it's a very private, very personal matter. Nothing could be further from the truth. In the New Testament, it's a very communal sort of thing. In fact, you can't be a Christ follower, according to the New Testament, without being part of a community of believers. You know, a local church where you'll, you'll discover how to worship on a weekly basis as you gather, do what we've been doing so far in our service today. You know, this is the place where someone gifted by God to be a pastor will teach you God's word. This is the place where your kids will be spiritually mentored. You know, this is a place where you'll celebrate baptism and, and communion and other big events. This is a place where you'll be mobilized to reach your local community and to serve the world. you got to be part of this church thing. So when we go to work as Christ's ambassador, our goal is not just to connect people to God. Ultimately, our goal is to see people connected to Jesus' country, connected to the church. You know, just a footnote to this point. If you are sent by the president to Brazil as an ambassador, okay, what, what's the most important country you represent? America or Brazil? Call it out. America. America. Right? You represent your home country. Uh, unfortunately, the reverse of this is often true of us in the spiritual realm. We're all about work. You know, next to our families, work is just huge to us. And, and, and so how do we look at the church? Well, we look at the church as a place where you go on a weekend to get inspired so you could go back and succeed at work because work is the really important thing you do. Now, is work important? Well, we've taken three weeks of a series so far to tell you how important it is. But, but, but friend, if you look at your attendance at church and you look at your giving at church and you look at your serving through the local church and it's subpar it's below the standard you've set for yourself at work then I would say to you you got your countries mixed up see because the one that ought to be so important to you is the church of Jesus Christ and its success and you, you go on a mission to your workplace every week you're sent to Brazil you know, but this place, I'm unashamed to say, this local church, if this is your church, this is of strategic importance in your life. You represent the church, the community of Christ followers. Get it? Good. Third thing you represent, you represent the gospel message. This is what Paul refers to in the closing line of verse 19 as the message of reconciliation. 
So Christ has given to us, his ambassadors, a message that must be passed on. We would be insubordinate to keep this message to ourselves. If the president has given to you a message as an ambassador to pass on and you keep it in your pocket, you, you would never do that. Christ has given us a message. It's the good news of how people can be restored to a relationship with God by surrendering to Jesus Christ. Now, how do we pass this message on at work? I mean, let, let's be realistic here. Some of us work in a place, a secular environment, where the boss has actually said, you know, you're not here to talk about God. You're not here to proselytize. You're here to drive a truck. Okay? You're, you're here to teach kids. You're here to hang drywall. You're here to sell insurance. You're here to fix whatever breaks IT-wise. Okay? That's your job. None of, this, none of this God stuff. So how do you share the good news of Christ? Reconciliation with God in a setting like that. Well, I don't have to work in a setting like that, but many of you do. So let me tell you what I've learned from my friends who want to be Christ's ambassadors in those kind of settings. I'll give you just a, you know, a handful of, of suggestions from them. You could jot these down if anyone strikes you as, yeah, that would be good. That would, and this is a random assortment. It's not a comprehensive list. First suggestion I'd say is work hard. Work, because that's how you gain your credibility. In fact, if you don't work hard, then please keep your mouth shut about Christ. Really. Yeah, I read an autobiography of Mariano Rivera this, this summer, greatest relief pitcher in baseball history, a Christ follower. And he had many opportunities to share Christ with teammates because he was such a hard worker at his craft. He worked hard to be good at what he did. And it opened doors to talk about Jesus. So work hard. Second suggestion, pray. I know this sounds obvious, but make a list of the people you encounter regularly on the job. Make this list in the next 24 hours. You know, fellow students, if you're a high school student and teachers and whatnot, customers, clients, patients, you know, people you see on a regular basis, supervisors, employees, and then pray through that list two or three people a day. And then work your way through the list, and when you get done, start at the top of the list and pick off two or three people. And every day as you go to work, pray for two or three of those people. And you, one of the things that will happen as you pray for people, God will open up opportunities for you to pray with people. I have a friend who's an air traffic controller. In fact, he was, you know, watched as the building was on fire this last week, and they shut down O'Hare and Midway and, and whatever. But he, he tells me at, at work... One of the opportunities he has to share his faith, people who know he's a Christ follower will come to him and say, hey, would you pray about this or about that? And so you have an opportunity to say, hey, let, let me take a moment right now and pray for you. Third suggestion, drop comments. You know, just learn to seed your conversation. Just drop a remark about God, about Jesus, something you read in the Bible that day, something that happened at church over the weekend, a go team trip that you just came back from. What, drop it into your conversation. See where it goes. Number four, connect outside of work. Connect outside of work. You know, if everybody's heading off to get a beer, go with them. You say, well, I don't drink. I didn't say you had to drink. You know, if you don't hang with people outside of work, how are you going to ever have the kind of conversations that will point them in the direction of Christ? 
Number five, share your personal story of surrender to Christ. I mean, something happened in your life. Can you leak that story? You know, here, here's one of the biggest things that's ever happened to me, and you begin to tell the story. Number six, pass on a God's Good News booklet. We've got hundreds of those available for you to pick up at the information counter. Every time you pass one on, reload. Always have one of those little booklets ready to go. Number seven, final suggestion here. Just invite, invite, invite people to weekend services at Christ Community. If they're interested in the Bible, not yet a Christ follower, you can still say, hey, come to my community group with me. We, you know, we study the Bible. Some of us, it's first time we've cracked the binding on this book. So you won't feel embarrassed. Join us. If they care for the poor, say, join me at a second Saturday. We're going to pack meals for the poor. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. See yourself as Christ's ambassador. You represent Christ. You represent Christ's church. You represent the gospel message. Here's a third way to pursue the greatest calling. See your mission as extremely important. See your mission as extremely important important. Let me ask you a question. What's the most urgent task you're going to face this week on the job? Okay, some of you know exactly what that's going to be, okay? Maybe you're a salesperson and you're in danger of losing your biggest client unless you come up with a better deal. They're going to go someplace else. You got this week to make it happen. Okay, or maybe you're a student and you got a research paper due on Wednesday. Some of you just remembered that as I said that. And you say, oh, I haven't even started it yet. Okay, you, you may be a, a restaurant owner and you're short two chefs and you're thinking, if I don't find a cook or two before the week is out, I'm not going to have any customers. Maybe you're a supervisor. You've got to trouble some employees not doing the job. and You've got to have one of those heart-to-heart -heart talks. It needs to happen this week. Maybe you're a young mom and potty training. There's got to be closure on that this week, right? So what is it for you? What's most urgent? I was listening to the news on the radio at the health club a couple of weeks ago. There was this story about a pilot, commercial airlines pilot, who's landing his plane full of people in Belfast, Ireland, and his prosthetic arm falls off. Now, can you guess what that dude's most urgent concern was that day? It's like, get the arm back on, right? That, that's the biggest deal right there and land the airplane. By the way, I couldn't believe the story having heard it on the radio, so I went online to check it out. And, you know, everybody exaggerated it. His, the detachment didn't happen at the shoulder. His prosthetic arm was attached to the controls, and it fell off. So it didn't fall off his body. But it was still urgent, but not quite as urgent as they made it sound. So what, what is most urgent for you? I'll tell you what it was for the Apostle Paul, what he wants it to be for you. The most urgent task at work, he would say, is to get this good news out, is to talk with somebody about how they can be reconciled to God. In fact, as I read the closing verses, we're going to pick it up in the middle of verse 20, chapter 5, read through the first two verses of chapter 6. I want you to note every word that carries with it a sense of urgency. Okay? Middle of verse 20. We implore you, there's the first one, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
God made him, he's speaking about Jesus now, God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us, okay? To die on the cross for our sins so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you, there's another one, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you now, there's another one, now is the time of God's favor, now is the day of salvation. You sense the urgency in Paul's approach here? He's He's pleading with the Corinthians to surrender themselves completely to Christ, to become fully reconciled to God. Now, as I studied this passage, I, you know, I, I was in, intrigued that Paul would issue such an urgent appeal to a group of people who were professing Christ followers. I mean, they already got it, right? So I looked at the commentaries. What do the Bible scholars say? Why is Paul you know, being so urgent about this? And the commentators say, you know, Paul's looking at the Corinthians and recognizing in some of their, their lives there is no evidence that they're the real deal, that they have truly surrendered to Christ. I mean, they're talking the talk, but they're not walking the walk. You know, you probably heard the expression before, you can hang out in church, but it won't make you a Christ follower any more than hanging out in a garage makes you a car. See, some of those, some of those Corinthians were churchgoers. They hung out at church. They thought that they were Christ followers, and Paul's recognizing they don't get it. And so he's making an urgent appeal because that's his mission as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Do we see our mission the same way with the same urgency? You know, whatever big task awaits you at work this week. What's ever at the top of your agenda. Paul, if he were here, he would look you in the eye and say, if you're a Christ follower, he's poking you in the chest now. There's something more important. There's something that needs to be number one at the top of your list, more important than any other task you put there. And that is to share the good news of reconciliation with God with somebody, to open up some spiritual conversation, to drop some hint about God into what you have to say. You know, you're going to encounter potential new creations this week at work. Your mission as Christ's ambassador is to open conversations about Christ, to find ways to communicate that, you know, we all, we all have this desperate need to be reconciled with God, to leak the story of how this has happened in your own life. This is urgent. I got an email from a buddy this past week. As I tell this story, I'm going to invite our, our worship bands to come on stage. Uh, we're going to close in just a few moments with a, uh, with a song of worship, uh, but also collect our gifts. And then we've got something special. We wanted to do something really special to close this workplace series. So you gotta, you're going to have to stick with me to the end to figure out what that is. All right? But I got an email from a buddy, and he wanted to tell me not only how impactful this workplace series had been in his life, but he said, I got a story about my wife I want to tell you. And I liked the story so much, I called and made sure his wife gave me permission to share it with you. Uh, she's, a, she's a school teacher. And uh, several years back, she started praying. She, she wanted to be more 
of Christ's ambassador on the job. So she started praying, God, use me more. Use me more. That was her prayer every day. About three months after she started praying this prayer, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Not exactly the answer you're hoping to get when you pray, God, use me more. So she went through a, a mastectomy. She went through chemo, and then she returned to work. But when she went back to work, it was with a new sense of urgency. You know, you have a brush with death, and suddenly the message of eternal life that other people desperately need to hear, it becomes really important to you. And so she wrote up 60 invitations, and she stuck them in the mailboxes of fellow teachers, inviting them to join her for a lunchtime book club, a Christian book that she had chosen. And, and maybe it was because she had gained credibility because of her fight with cancer, but 12 teachers actually showed up. Most of them not Christ followers. Some of them messed up with personal life problems, struggles in their marriages, kids addicted to drugs, health issues, money issues. And ever since she started that book club, she's had opportunity after opportunity to point fellow teachers to Christ. There was, a, there was a sense of urgency to what she did. What would it take for the mission Christ has given you to become extremely urgent? Would it take a crisis in your life for it to become urgent? Oh, I, I really got to be about this. Would it take a crisis in the lives of people you know at work for you to to take this task as being urgent? I want to tell you the crisis is already here. You don't need to wait for the crisis. The crisis is here. The crisis is that the people you work with, potential new creations in Christ, will never become new creations if they don't hear about Jesus and surrender their lives to him. Not only that, they're going to miss out on the eternal life that God offers those who surrender to Christ the one who gives freedom from sin, which leads to death, and in exchange gives forgiveness and life. That's a crisis. Will you begin looking for ways to communicate the message of reconciliation at work this week? This is the greatest calling. It's to see other people as potential new creations in Christ. It's to see yourself as Christ's ambassador. It's to see your mission as extremely important. We asked ourselves, how can we send people back to their workplace with a sense of this is what I'm called to do. I'm an ambassador for Christ. Now, 30 some years ago, when I entered ministry, I was ordained. There was this official service, and they laid hands on me and prayed over me. And you, you know, the only trouble with that is it, it tends to create a class of people that are clergy and then non clergy. And the Bible just knows none of that. See, whatever job you do, you are, you are as ordained as an ambassador of Jesus Christ as I'm ordained for my job. Do you believe that? Okay, and so you're about to get officially ordained here, all right? So if you, if you didn't realize that you're ordained, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hold a handout so I can look at the screen at the blessing here. And, and this hand is meant to communicate to you God's blessing on your work life. And we're going to print the blessing up here, and I'm going to read part of it. And every time we get to your line in yellow, you say it with enthusiasm. Here we go. May the Lord make you image bearers in your workplaces. 
Just as God took satisfaction in his job as creator, may you enjoy the work you do. May you call to mind as you work each day that you are imitating your Father in heaven. Lord, make me an image bearer at work. May the Lord make you rulers in your workplaces. We live in a fallen world. God has called you to rule over situations at work that have been corrupted by sin. May you discover solutions to problems, resolve conflicts between people, fix things that are broken, and bring order out of chaos. May you overcome spiritual enemies such as despair, immorality, dishonesty, selfishness, and prejudice. Lord, make me a ruler at work. May the Lord make you God hires in your workplaces. May you work as if you're working for him. May this give everything you do, even the most mundane tasks, a sense of purpose. And may you be confident that God will reward you for your efforts, whether or not they're recognized by others. Lord, make me a God hire at work. And may the Lord make you providers in your workplaces. May you see your jobs not so much as the accomplishing of tasks, but as the meeting of people's needs. And may your income provide for your own family as well as be given generously for the meeting of others' spiritual and physical needs. Lord, make me a provider at work. And finally, and most importantly, may the Lord make you ambassadors for Christ in your workplaces. May you see other people as potential new creations. May you see yourself as one who has been sent on a mission by King Jesus to proclaim the message of reconciliation. And may you see that mission as extremely urgent. Lord, make me an ambassador for Christ at work. And now if you would, just turn your palms up so you could really receive this, okay? I'm about to throw this your way, quarterback to wide receiver. Here's the blessing. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Have a great week.